uh, we had the advantage uh, at Berkshire Hathaway, which Altlink is a part of, of having uh, Bill Gates on our board of directors. He had That's raised right. the pandemic issue with our board of directors and the impact on our Berkshire Hathaway businesses, including the utilities, a year and a half earlier. And so we had, we had actually been practicing every month planned and unplanned emergency response exercises, oh, okay. and indeed had an unplanned pandemic exercise across all of the utilities in Berkshire Hathaway Energy back in June of 2019. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. After a hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're back with the first of a series of podcasts on the pandemic, its impact on the electricity sector, and how the future may change due to our COVID-19 experiences. This podcast was the first not recorded face-to-face, but using Zoom, and features my conversation with Owen Cook, the Vice President of Security and Information Services at Altalink, the Alberta-based transmission company. Here is my conversation with Owen recorded in mid-June 2020. We're finally getting back to podcasting. Though no longer face to face, and uh, you know the reason the podcasts have been on hiatus, of course, is COVID nineteen. There was a lot of people that worked very hard uh, to ensure that the light stayed on during this pandemic. Uh, and joining me on the podcast today is a colleague that is one of those people, uh, and one that I've had the pleasure of of working with for for some time now, but particularly uh, on some cross border issues. Uh, through the, uh, the, the, the work that we do with, with NERC and the Electricity Subsector Coordinating Council. Uh, so delighted, uh, Owen Cook, that you're able to join the podcast today. Owen uh, is the Vice President, Security and Information Services at AltaLink. Uh, and so maybe let's start off with that. What does that actually mean? What does, what does that role look like on a day-to-day basis before COVID-19 happened? Before COVID-19, yes. So good morning, Francis, and, and thank you for inviting me to the podcast I'm delighted to share our story with everybody who's out there. Uh, you know, what does it look like? Uh, certainly pre-COVID-19, I guess my job would have been super busy every day and different. Um, so, you know, I'm responsible as security and information services. I'm responsible for physical, cyber, and information security, as well as the full IT gambit, if you like, of development through operations of IT software. But in addition to that, I'm I'm the executive sponsor responsible for Altlink's emergency response plans. So that's the construction of our integrated transmission or facilities or IT disaster recovery, those, those integrated plans, if you like. Uh, when COVID-19 came along, of course, um, I was the one who was initially did the setup of how our team responds because I'm closest to it. Yeah. Uh, so I did the initial setup of how we should be structured, uh, who would be playing what roles, and it was based upon a pretty well-established a format that we had for emergency response teams, to be frank. Okay, so um, you kind of had a playbook uh, on this? Yes, we did. In fact, we'd been working on a playbook, an integrated emergency response plan for probably the previous two years as a result of Grid X4. Okay. So yeah. one of the outcomes of Grid X4 was that we realized, you know, we actually were talking different languages, even internally to Altlink, right. about how we would respond to an incident. 
And so, so uh, COVID nineteen hits. Mm-hmm. Um, it it uh, naturally lands um, on onto your desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not actually at your desk. Uh, there was there was that added added wrinkle that that most people were no longer um, in the in their workplace. Uh, how how much of a complication did that wind up being? Because I, I I you know I, I wonder if that was something that was in the playbook as well that the workplace would empty. Yeah, you, you know that this is interesting. Uh, we had the advantage uh, at Berkshire Hathaway, which Altlink is a part of, of having uh, Bill Gates on our board of directors. And oh, I think he had right. raised, yeah, there's this backstory yeah, yeah, yeah. here. So he had That's raised right. the pandemic issue with our board of directors and the impact on our Berkshire Hathaway businesses, including the utilities, right. like a year and a half earlier. Wow, okay. And, and so we had, we had actually been practicing every month planned and unplanned emergency response exercises oh, okay. and indeed had an unplanned pandemic exercise across all of the utilities in Berkshire Hathaway Energy back in June of 2019. Wow. Uh, so I would say, you know, that, that gave us a leg up. I think yeah. we could probably see in advance where the puck was going to go on the pandemic. And, and although I helped put the initial plans together, thankfully we had, uh, we have a number of incident commanders at Altlink. Right. And Rod Kels, who I know you know of, uh, yep, sure. is, our, is our health and safety guy. And he took the lead as the incident commander. And I took the lead as the executive liaison officer, be, uh, reaching out externally to, to yourselves at the CEA, to other companies in Alberta, and to the uh, other U.S. utilities. Mm-hmm. So we did have the advantage of knowing where that puck was going to go. That meant, I think, in our mind, that the actual exodus, if I can call it that, okay. the, the leaving of the offices... Um, was actually pretty well planned. Um, oh, okay. It actually yeah. executed very well. Right. Um, and we were maybe lucky in some places. Yeah. Uh, you know, that certainly was well thought through, I think, in advance, really. Right. Um, and, okay. and it executed over a day. So, listen, one of, the, one of the things that I do ask folks before we, you know, get into some of the, some of the meat of this is um, I'm always interested to find out how people get to the role that they're, that they're currently in. I'd ask somebody some, some time ago when I was talking to a regulator, um, you know, and, and, and the regulator's response was, well, no, when, when I was a young child, I didn't dream of growing up to be a regulator. Um, <clears throat> what, was, what was sort of your progression to, to get to this role that, that you now have at Altalink? Well, you know, I'd summarize by saying it was a series of splendid mistakes. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, um, to be married to a wonderful doctor, a radiologist, um, still am after many, many years. But, you know, way back when we both left school, I, at that point in time, I was, I was in IT. I was sure robotics were going to take over the world. And I said to her, look, you know, I'm, robotics are going to replace doctors. It's just going to happen. <laughs> and they, you know, sure, sure it was. I'm kind of glad they didn't because she earns a lot more money than I do. But, um, and I, I was so sure of that, you know, I went off to Japan to work in robotics, right? Okay. So boy, was I proven wrong. Okay, clearly they've not replaced doctors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after many years of having uh, working back in consulting in the utility space, um, I kind of felt like a fake, frankly, Francis. I think I mentioned this to you before. I hear was I a, a guy in my late 20s telling experienced business leaders and utilities how to run their operations, et cetera. Right. And I right. never, never actually done it myself. Um, and I thought that's got to change. And I love the culture and utilities and the public service ethos, no matter how they're owned, private or not that kind of ethos that we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I stepped in some roles, operational roles in utilities and then construction roles in utilities. And, you know, and it kept, it kept rolling on and rolling on. Um, opportunity came up a couple of years ago to step back into the security in the IT space. And when I left it, the internet didn't exist. 
Right, <laughs> so, right. Some, some big changes again for me in this space. But, you know, if I, looking back, if I, if I said, well, hey, if I started again, if this was 30 years ago, what would I want to do? Um, I probably would still say, hey, how can we use artificial intelligence or robotics to really help better decision making? What better place to do that than in public health care? Yeah. Um, what better place to do that than in, you know, utilities which make complex long-term right. decisions over a long-term basis, right? What yeah. better place to help people break through that space? So, I mean, this is a really an ideal job for me to try and contribute on. Uh, I'm sure it'll grow. I'm sure it'll change. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I still have to say this, a series of splendid mistakes probably got me here. And I'm right. glad for it. You know, we, we, um, when, when we were talking before the podcast, uh, I said, you know, I wanted to, to do a podcast about COVID-19. But I got I to gotta pull this thread. Um, you, you have responsibility for, for security. And you mentioned AI sort of casting your mind forward. Are, are we entering a world where AI, uh, artificial intelligence, is going to start, uh, I don't know, uh, perhaps weaponizing um, the, the, the cyber attacks that we're seeing? What is, uh, we'll get back to COVID-19, but I'd be really interested, given your background, how you sort of see that potentially uh, uh, you know, working its way out. Yeah, there's no question in my mind we're in an arms race. Yeah. yeah. So, so we do know that whether it's other nation states are investing heavily in the artificial intelligence space. Uh, we do know certainly the criminals have that available to them or combination nation state criminal groups right. have that, have that capability. And when we will have to invest in that space. Yeah. How is it different is the question though. Why, why is AI very different than our traditional cyberspace? Well, for me, it's, it's simple. AI allows uh, a malicious attacker to really study the mechanics of how your organization works. By that, I mean, they study how decisions are made, who's involved in decisions, behavioral, if you like, mm -hmm. and then they replicate that behavior. Okay. Right? They yeah. replicate those trust factors. So when they appear in an organization, they look as if it's just what the organization does, or it's who should have those responsibilities. Gotcha. That's what makes it more dangerous than anything, because AI will be, it won't be your traditional someone knocking on your firewalls, Right. It's going to be an insidious attack yeah. inside, very difficult to spot. And you, the only way to counter that is to look at, look at systems or somebody who's monitoring your systems, who's watching your behaviors. Right. You'd like monitor their behaviors, monitoring you. So, you know, we are in this arms race. There's no question about it. It will be using the higher end technologies. And there is very strong payback for those agents who are malicious to us to invest. They're mm -hmm. very, very strong paybacks. And so they will. And they will. So um, I, I would love to come back to this maybe in a future podcast. It would be fun to okay. do, but do, a, do, a, do a deeper dive on this. But just one question. Um, in this arms race, how do you think we're doing so far? You know, I, I think the majority of the attention that we've been paying has really been plugging the holes. Okay. Um, and, you know, and, and I look at Think about how complex all the systems and the technologies, whether it's IT or OT, think about how complex that has been over years as we built on new systems and layered and layered and layered on top of each other. Yeah. The, the truth is most of our systems are a bit like a Jenga puzzle. Right. That, that's, that's the honest truth. Yeah. Um, they're layered on top of each other so much that, you know, pulling out one makes it quite unstable. Making mm -hmm. changes to one in that whole stack makes it somewhat unstable. And so I think most of the efforts we've been spending 
um, it's not just utilities. Most companies are like this. Right. They've really been about patching the holes, making sure what we currently have is has got the security uh, vulnerabilities addressed. Mm-hmm. That's where most of our focus should go. And unless you got those things in place and done well, AI isn't going to help you. Right. right. <laughs> isn't going to help you. You're still going to have the vulnerabilities. Okay. And I think, Francis, you probably know that there's about 20,000 vulnerabilities published by software and hardware vendors every year. Mm-hmm. about 20,000 of those. And, you know, probably half of those are Microsoft. So, you know, really companies have to be very good and very diligent on closing those down first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, Going to higher end technologies like artificial intelligence or, Mm -hmm. you know, endpoint detection and all those things are good, but you've got to get the basics right. Gotcha. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's talk a little bit about technology, particularly with respect to uh, COVID-19 and the, the types of transformations that, that have happened to respond to COVID-19 mm-hmm. that has allowed for what looks like in a lot of cases, um, in, uh, you know, a productivity equivalent to, and in some cases, yeah. even higher productivity perhaps yeah. than, than we had before. Yeah. What's the, kind of your take on that? How do you see how, how that is, how, how that it has evolved over the last well, three months now into, into this uh, pandemic? Well, it's, it's quite a relief, isn't it, really? I think a lot of people rolled the dice uh, when they walked out of the offices and had so many people working from home. Not all people. We do have field office people on field, uh, people working in the field on construction and operations. Yeah. But Wave is a bit of a roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. Could this have worked two years ago, right? Uh, right. I, would, I would firmly say no. Yeah. Right? So, you know, had this happened to us two years ago, the key collaboration tools or communication tools that everybody relies on, whether it's uh, Microsoft Teams. Well, that only came out in, I think, 2017 or 2018. Mm-hmm. Same for Cisco WebEx. Yep. You know, those, if those things weren't in place, this would be a very different conversation we'd be talking about. Right. It'd be almost impossible for people to have that sort of productivity at home that they get in the office. Right. Um, so isn't, isn't that just wonderful that we're in that space? And, and maybe mm-hmm. it makes sense that maybe... Maybe Microsoft knew these. They paid like eight and a half billion dollars in 2011 for Skype. And, right. I'm, and I was scratching my head at the time and going, wow, how do they see that? And now it's the motor behind Teams, yeah. There you go. There it is. Yeah. It's the engine behind Microsoft Teams. Yeah. Pretty yeah. smart move, really. And uh, it's great to be able to see out that far in advance. But, but the technology is a big change here, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a rush to put these products out. Um, and, you know, we, there wasn't a lot of time, and I'm, I'm sure most companies are the same, there wasn't a lot of time to do that, the change management, the training, the communication, and, and people have been left behind, right? Yeah. Um, the early adopters are always early adopters. You know, the kids who will pick up a, a remote for your video recorder in the old days, they'll take to it right away. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of the organization that's still a little bit silent right now in terms of how well they're using their systems. Right. Or how well they're communicating. Yeah. And you still see that. Um, they're the ones who maybe don't have their camera switched on video. They maybe they don't participate in chats. Maybe they don't ask questions. Right. And it's hard to know because if, if 90% of communication is nonverbal, yeah. how do you know that they're really engaged, that they're, they're actually following? Yeah. It's, it's actually difficult to tell. Right. I, I think the other thing about the technology, Francis, and maybe you should share your experiences with your teams and your organization. But, um, you know, for a highly consensus driven or collaborative organization that spends the time working really hard with teams Mm -hmm. um, to suddenly go to that technology space, you're moving closer to more like a spoke in a wheel. Yeah. 
yeah, the manager's calling people on teams, et cetera. But it's now become a spoken wheel type communication and not the water cooler type communication or mm -hmm. that informal network inside the office when people go for lunch together. Right. And, and we're trying to do some of that, but it's still quite clumsy. Yeah. And so it's, I think from technology perspective, it's been awesome. Yeah. It has not been the full picture. Right. Um, I think we'll culture wise, I think we will see that develop over the next five or six months, maybe. Mm -hmm. So what's the, what's the, well, I mean, there's a lot of talk about um, what is reentry into, into the workplace look like and how long is it going to take? And, you know, th this is going to probably have a much longer tail than we would have thought of initially uh, because of restrictions and social distancing and so on. So, so what's, what's the new normal going to look like um, in terms of use of technology, uh, collaboration, uh, and, and particularly for those people, you know, as you noted, not, not everybody um, embraced this or, or was able to embrace it and some are left behind. Does that, does that make for a longer-term challenge for organizations? Oh, I, I think it does. For sure mm -hmm. it does now. And here we are in this new space. I think people pretty quickly affected working from home. Yeah. But, and certainly we never saw this, Francis. We never saw the amount of effort and detail and planning that's going to be required to bring people back into the office in a, in a way in which they feel comfortable, yeah. uh, in a way they feel safe and that we're looking after their interests. That's, that we never envisaged how long that would take. Right. Um, and we are working our way through those plans. We have people, we've got our first group coming back in uh, next week, beginning okay. mid-June. Yep. Yep. Um, we hope to have a next, most of people returning somewhere in the July period. Yeah. But there's still a lot to work out there. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the improvements that we made with technology, whether it's signing documents or workflow or all those things needed to work from home, mm -hmm. I, those are beachheads for me. Right. Okay. We've, yeah. this, this has been an opportunity to establish some new practices that are awesome. Right. But it's a beachhead we have to maintain. Right. When people come into the office, we don't want us to go back into, you know, walking documents around for signature or whatever. Right. We need to yeah. reinforce somehow the good of that technology and make sure it sticks. That's going to be a challenge. And is that's, that's something that I, guess, that I guess you and, and colleagues are dealing with now, trying to figure out how we can take, I guess, what you'd, you, what you'd term um, uh, critical lessons learned from the experience so far and uh, make sure they get them implemented? For sure. And, and there are many. Yeah. There are many, right? So even just the simple, you know, whether it's COVID-19, or whether it's COVID 2021 or whatever, you know, these yeah. influenza pandemics are going to be on people's minds for some period of time. Right. I think people's trigger levels to respond to a sniffle, so to speak, uh, is going to be much more heightened. And so there's going to be a lot of, a lot more management effort, I think, in terms mm. of reassuring people um, about we've got the procedures and processes and some of the technology in place to, to protect people in the long term, right? To be able to respond right. a lot quicker than we would have done previously. Right. And I think yeah. that's the difference you'll see if you look at a national level between countries that have done well, countries that have not done well. You know, I, just, I always draw this comparison maybe between uh, South Korea, which I think everybody would agree is fairly technology advanced, mm -hmm. and maybe the US. You know, they both had their first COVID case literally 24 hours apart. Right. Total number of deaths in South Korea is only 300 now yeah. for 50 million people. Yeah. And you know, unfortunately, what are we at in the States? We're well over 100,000. Well over 100,000, yeah. yeah. Uh, for 350, 370 million people. Yeah. And what's the difference there? What was the difference? Well, mm. it was the testing quickly, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it was actually also the technology. 
right? The contact tracing piece. Right. Um, and, I, you know, and I think if you come back to those two bits, testing and contact tracing, whether it's COVID-19 or anything else, those are going to still continue to feature heavily for, for every organization. Right. Um, and how it integrates with public health authority or so or whatever. But those, those are the two pillars of making this work in the future. Hey, can we talk a little bit about um, collaboration and uh, and how different groups, both within the industry and, and across sectors, came together on this? I know you you were you know uh, certainly central to the the, the efforts through CEA um, nationally, and you you know represented Canada on some of the North American efforts as well. But um, uh, your relationships probably started with, uh, with and amongst the, the companies in Alberta. Can you talk a little bit about how that came together and whether or not that was part of, you know, some of the stuff that you drilled in the past or, or was this relationship building, did it happen in a, in a manner that surprised you? Well, I, first of all, I think you're probably giving me too much credit <laughs> <laughs> for either Alberta or Canada for that matter. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of people involved in these oh, things. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. As you yeah. can imagine, right? So yeah. whether it's government relations people or, or health and safety people or whatever, right? So there's so many people that need to be involved. Yep. Um, I, I think fundamentally, like I said, uh, before we started the recording, I shared some earlier uh, major incidents that I'd been involved in previously. Yeah. In not just electricity, but in water and wastewater and dam bursts and stuff like that around the world. Yeah, when, um, we, talked about, when we talked about how you came to, to be here, you, you didn't mention that a lot of that was uh, outside of Alberta. Yes, that's right. I mean, I started the, I was originally an incident commander in the UK, the United Kingdom, uh-huh. uh, covering water and wastewater. And I had some uh, dam burst to deal, a rather large dam burst to deal with. Okay. Uh, and some other things as well. So it is, I guess it's, I'm, I'm, I've got the experience of ra- a rounded area, not just electricity. Yeah. Um, well, why is that important? Be- you know, because the chain's only as strong as its weakest link, right? right. And where you have electricity, say in Alberta, maybe Ontario, and you've got so many market, so many market participants, mm-hmm. right. um, separation of generation and transmission and distribution. For, for sure, the person who's turning on their light switch needs all of those to work. Um, and none of them can fail. Yeah. And so, you know, recognizing that, I think immediately early on um, from the experience in UK and elsewhere, uh, it felt to me that, hey, um, you know, whenever you have a major incident, right, when, here's, this is just human behavior. If you're a leader in an organization and you've got an incident coming down, your instinct immediately is to make sure that your ship is in order, right? That your house is in order, you've got right. your things under control, you know what your plan is. Yeah. It's actually counterintuitive, strangely enough. It's a bit counterintuitive to actually reach out to other organizations to make sure that you're aligned quickly, early on. Right, right. It's a little okay. bit counterintuitive. It only yeah. comes with experience and having been burnt previously, which mm-hmm. I have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, so that's really what was in my mindset, um, reaching out to the other Alberta uh, participants early on. Yeah. Um, Altlink is not the reliability coordinator. Right. Um, we recognize that that is a concern to our customers, right, that we need to have them connected. And the same for the CEA. And clearly, from our perspective, you know, winning the argument that we built confidence in our employees and our customers, mm-hmm. that we can keep their lights on, that we can keep our employees safe, it, it's a much stronger argument when they see us working together, right? Gotcha. When they see that, yeah. when they know that the distribution companies here in Alberta, like NMAX or EPCOR, um, or generation like Capital Power and TransAlta, mm-hmm. we're actually coordinated in our approach. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean we're consistently tied together or tightly coupled, but it does right. mean we're aligned. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and our employees see that and they reach out to other members in the industry and ask questions. Right. Um, right. So reaching out to other people in Alberta, other utilities in Alberta, clearly the provincial emergency management authority has a super big role to play here. Mm -hmm. um, no doubt you'll, you'll, you'll have paid attention. I think previously to the Americans when they did their studies on among critical infrastructure, if we lose electricity, how long does it take before water supplies are impacted right. yep. or telecommunications or gas? Yeah. The interdependency stuff. Like yes. And yeah. it is surprisingly quick. Yep. You know, it's the, it's a matter of hours, right? Mm -hmm. Within eight hours, you have 50% degradation in water supply. Yeah. Um, yeah. So literally as people on the inside who understand this, it's incumbent on us to make sure we do reach out, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so my role at the, in, in Altlink, um, after the initial setup was really to be the external liaison officer. Okay. Gotcha. I call that an intelligence role. Really? Yeah. My job is to reach out to, to yourselves, the Canadian electricity association and the Americans, yeah. the electricity subsector coordinating committee and yeah. actually hear what everybody else is doing. Right. Hear what they're doing, bring it back into our organization, share what we're thinking about, yeah. um, agree where we can on things that would be great to be done together. And so, so the, the intelligence that you were bringing back, it, it, was, it was useful in terms of informing your current approaches and your plans for the future? It was Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Even dealing with some simple tactics. Okay. Right? How are people reaching out to contractors? So our contractors who we all share, or right. our vendors for key equipment, we yeah. all share them. Yeah. How are we coordinating the letters that they have in their hands that says that they're an essential worker for us? Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Some of those contractors might have 30 or 40 different letters, right? Yeah. Okay. That's something as an industry, we go, Hey, that's important. PPE clearly important across the industry. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that we're not jumping on top of each other, trying to, to rob Peter to pay Paul yeah. when it comes to getting your own PPE supplies, putting your own house in order, but everybody else at risk. That's yeah. not the, that's yeah. not the right answer. Yeah. 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 And I, I recalled in the early days when we were talking to government and other stakeholders about PPEs, we were always really clear to, to make sure we emphasized we're a second tier priority after first responders and hospitals and healthcare system and so on. That's right. Yeah. You know, we've, yeah. we've got to put our, we've got to put our investments where it makes the biggest impact. Right. And it's on clearly on the front, yeah. like we're frontline workers. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so from a, well, let's, let's use the term intelligence gathering standpoint, because I think that's a, that's a really good uh, way to, to look at it. Um, your company is also part of the, the, the broader uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, mm -hmm. power group. So w w that was, I'm, I'm guessing, probably a, a venue and a, and, a, and a source of pretty significant information, given you know, the, the companies that are part of that group. How important was that for, uh, for developing your picture and, and your approach? Yeah, I mean, it is terribly important, really. Uh, a lot of it would be, um, like I said, going back to those early days when we set up those integrated emergency response plans. Yeah. That was actually done across the Berkshire Hathaway Energy. Okay. So that would include for your listeners, people like Pacific Gore or Nevada Energy or Mid-American right. or even in the UK, Northern Power Group, yeah. uh, Northern Power Grid. So, you know, it, it actually got a fairly broad base of people putting in, you know, insight into what those plans should be. Does that mean they're all exactly the same? No, they're not, but they're on the same basis, right? Right. And it allowed us to quickly look and say, hey, how can we use or share PP between the different companies? Mm -hmm. um, cleaning agents, contractors, logistics, warehousing. How is it we can share those items if we need to, to redeploy them to even to where the hotspots are inside Berkshire Hathaway Energy. Right. 
so for example, Pacific Corps was obviously uh, based around um, mm -hmm. Washington and Oregon, clearly was one of the first states in the U.S. to be right. impacted. Yep. Then Nevada, then Iowa, et cetera. So as you can imagine, we're looking at it from a perspective, where, where is this going to be going next? Mm -hmm. and, you know, skating to where the puck's going to go mm -hmm. uh, was mm -hmm. a lot of the conversation that was taking place across Berkshire Hathaway Energy, but fundamentally about sharing best practices. Right. Now, I mean, it's not over um, by a long shot, certainly. We're, we're three, three yeah. plus months into, uh, into the pandemic, but we seem to have you know, settled into, a, into a, bit of a, a bit of a rhythm right now. Uh, are you able to look back at um, the, the exercises uh, that you've done in, that you had done in the past? Because you had indicated that you know, you'd done some exercises previously and, and send planning around, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily exactly this scenario, but similar scenarios. Um, how far off were you and, and how, how uh, important was it uh, to inform the approach that you took? Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking ahead from, from our perspective of, mm -hmm. you know, when we're designing our next grid ex exercises and, and other exercises in the future. So how was your experience um, compared to what you, what you drilled for? what we would have thought was coming. And yeah. it's, a great, it's a great question, you know, and I think we're still in the process of evaluating how we performed. Let, okay. let me say this though, there's a couple of things. I think clearly, you know, when we did the original drills, we were very clear to say, okay, when the World Health Organization declares this, that means we move to this level, Okay. right? This level of response, this level of um, isolation, cell structures or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it never played out that way, right? You know, yeah. the, the th you know and that's fundamental to us. Right. Imagine if everybody's trying to march together in rhythm, knowing that they put the left foot forward at the same time is important. Right. So that, that's one that never played out that way. And likewise, when the Alberta government, so the Alberta provincial government here, um, started to move their way through a provincial emergency, but not a, you know, a, a provincial emergency, um, provincial state of... Um, I forget the words actually, but you know, it's a provincial state of um, awareness or whatever it was they declared. Yeah. Uh -huh. Those early days, right. that that was that was not in our in our makeup about how we expected to respond. Right, we mm -hmm. expected clear and clean triggers. Mm -hmm. It didn't quite happen that way. Right. So I think that was one that we take away. Two, as I said earlier, we didn't really have good plans. We had good plans to get out. But right. not good plans to get back. I've heard that from everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's proving to be a lot more difficult than I, I probably would have expected. It's surmountable. Yeah. Um, we're lucky to some extent that we don't share buildings. Can you imagine if you're on the 25th floor of a shared building and you're trying to coordinate your reentry plans with the other 30 occupants in the same yep. building? Pretty yep. tough, right? That's, yep. that's going to be pretty tough. With elevators that only allow two people in, a, in an elevator at a time from now on. People yeah. are going to get very fit running uh, yeah. those stairs. They <laughs> yes, really they are. are. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. So what's, what's happening with exercises now? Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as I said, we're, we're, yeah. when we record this part of the podcast, we're three plus months into, into the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you're, you probably have a regular cycle of, 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 of exercises. Um, have they been um, postponed or are you still drilling? No, we're, we're, they're all postponed currently until yeah. we step our way down uh, okay. into a, a more normal level of operation. Yeah. Um, you know, but I've, we've got a couple of good ones ready to go. 
I would expect <laughs> yeah, from the lessons learned from this. Yeah. Well, it won't be pandemic. That's, I'll, I'll give my team a heads up. It won't be a pandemic. will be the first one I drop on you. <laughs> I think we've done that one a little bit this year. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, but we will always want to do some of these drills and, and your course you're talking, um, you know, we do know that the grid X, the next grid X exercise is going to be taking place in November of next year. Yep. Um, so we'll be preparing ourselves for that one for sure. Yeah. Uh, we can expect to have some cybersecurity drills, um, physical security, information security, which hasn't really been a big, a big element, I think, as part of GridX previously. Right. And maybe it doesn't have a role there, but uh, certainly internal to our organization, uh, losing information related to, say, um, I can't imagine the scenario, but losing information related to employees' bank account numbers or whatever. Right. Okay. Disaster. Yeah. But that's, that's an important information security piece because, you know, it, it may not affect directly the lights going off. Yeah. It does affect the confidence in customers and employees in you as an organization, right? Right. Um, so just as important. Um, so, yeah, we got a number of these lined up to go. Great. They're always fun. Hey, one of the things that uh, I ask uh, everybody that comes on to the, to the podcast is I ask them about a, the book that they're either the book they're reading or the book that they've recently read that they would uh, recommend to, to the listener. Okay. Uh, and so what would that be for you? Uh, I don't have a lot of time to do reading, as you can imagine. Um, and I was just thinking about this the other day. And so, you know what, I, I tend to get short bursts. And maybe that's the generation I'm in now. You know, nobody has the time to sit down and do a read a book for a week or two. But I look for short bursts of information, really. So yeah. I'm an avid uh, news hog, I have to tell you. So, um, so oh, well, on, then on that, um, mm -hmm. first thing in the morning when you, when you fire up your iPad or your computer, what, do you, what are your sources? Where do you, where do yeah. you go to first? Well, funny enough, I follow the sun, right? So I, I will typically start off with the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC News. Okay. Uh, France uh, 24, so France 24 mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. for the European perspective. Yep. Um, and so those two are the primary ones. I'll, I'll always start with there and okay. then I'll work my way as we get through it. So I won't even look at something like CNN or those in the US until later in the day. Oh, okay. Because right. they really don't have anything new to tell me overnight. Right, okay. gotcha. Ter terrible uh, news hog. Um, I do get a lot of, if I'm looking for something that's kind of um, off the beaten path a bit, mm. uh, I, I loved, I do love those daily TED Talks that you can get on Spotify's and, you know, and you can just, uh, an audio book, if you like, right. download the podcast and listen to it. So you're, so you're, own, yeah. you're a podcast fan, are you? I am indeed. Yeah, okay. I am indeed. Yeah, I like, love listening to them. Um, I did see a good one yesterday, which was, um, which is ironic, Francis, as you know, I'm Irish. Uh -huh. um, you know, how does alcohol get you drunk? <laughs> like, hmm. <laughs> it's like either I should know that but I don't even drink alcohol so I never have so but I thought this is going to be really interesting it was quite a it's quite an eye-opener I have to say wow <laughs> well listen on on that note um Owen thank you very much I really appreciate you taking taking the time um it's, it's interesting to hear uh, the perspectives from 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 you and and from your company um you know particularly because this is something that you, your 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 company had kind of um, done planning around, um, mm -hmm. but it's still it's still um, you know no matter how, how much you plan, uh, it's still rolled out in in a manner that nobody could have predicted. And don't know where we're going to next, but um, we do appreciate the opportunity to, to to have a chat and to pick your brain on us. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Francis, and uh, have a great day.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor and invite you to tune in for future discussions and podcasts. Coming up will be additional conversations on lessons learned from the pandemic, as well as a spotlight series of podcasts on the current challenges and future prospects of supplying electricity in Canada's north. As always, we invite you to continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.